I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring Out the Podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT is back with us. JT, how you doing? Uh, Not too bad. It, It wasn't a terrible Monday. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good week to be a Kansas State fan, I think. Yeah. So. <laughs> and we're definitely going to talk about that game, but you know, we've also got to look ahead a little bit. Kansas State's going to play Texas Tech on Saturday at 12.30 back at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. So we've brought in Emery Lida from Viva the Matadors, writer. Thanks for joining us, Emery. No, thank you guys for having me. Looking forward to discuss this game. Hopefully it goes... Uh, a little bit less heartbreaking than last week. That was not much fun. Yeah, that one. That one. I don't know if you want to talk much about that. I mean, that was a lot happened in that game. <laughs> yeah, it was hectic. There was a tweet out on Tech Twitter that was like, in three quarters, we experienced an entire season worth of Texas Tech football in terms of emotion. And that was before the 15-point <laughs> collapse of three minutes left. So it's just... Yeah, it's been crazy ever since then. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was kind of wondering, as Texas Tech fans, and maybe there's different opinions within the fan base, but what was your reaction to Mike Leach, you know, winning his first game against the defending champs? Yeah, to be honest, it really didn't surprise me in terms of knowing that Singlu was out for LSU and seeing how much they lost. The actual like then pulling off the upset wasn't overly surprising, but man, KJ Costello having over 600 yards. I mean, I can't think of a more typical way to introduce Mike Leach to the SEC. I mean, the man manages to make absolute magic out of stuff, and it's crazy what he was able to do there. So he's also going against Bo Pelini. I mean, yeah. Bo Pelini's <laughs> notorious for giving up lots of yards to the air raid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I saw the stat where they had 623 passing yards and then like nine rush yards. That's just vintage Mike Leach right there. So. Yeah, typical Mike Leach. I mean, typical Bo Pelini as well, giving up yeah. astronomical numbers to people. I mean, he was the head coach when Melvin Gordon went off for 400 yards, head coach when Tech put up 66 points on them, and now head coach when KJ Costello broke the SEC passing yard record in game one for Mike Leach. That's just, man, it's been crazy to see what Leach was able to do in game one. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that like our Texas Tech fans happy for Mike Leach or are they, is there any bitterness there? I want to say it's happy for him. I think it's more so like, look at what the administration has done wrong. I mean, a lot of people use Leach's success and are just absolute chaos in the last decade as a way to say like, look, see, you really screwed this up. I mean, there are definitely people that just worship Leach and Lovick, but I think overall it's more so been used as like a, you could have had this, but you didn't towards our administration. Yeah. Okay. So the complete opposite of Ron Princeton. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Luckily we don't have to worry about him being successful anywhere because he's a terrible coach. So <laughs> yeah. Just kind of worrying about him ruining uh, people's lives and, 
whatever school is stupid enough to hire him. Yeah. 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 Basically. <laughs> but uh, JT, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Kansas State, Oklahoma, because um, you know the obviously we were pretty disappointed after week one, the loss to Arkansas State, and Skylar Thompson and everybody just kind of turned it around. I mean, I think if you're a Kansas State fan and you thought that K-State had a chance to win when they were at 28-7, you're, you're a liar. But uh, how much fun was that watching, watching the game on Saturday? Well, you know, I, I watched the whole thing, and I'm still, you know, in, in awe of what happened. Now, the more I, th- I thought about it, you know, we get you know, much like the week before where, you know, K-State had played Arkansas State, who who had a, a game up on us, had played the game with Memphis the week before that, whereas OU and and to an extent, you know, and you saw it in the Texas Texas Tech game as well. But like, OU only basically had to play half a game against Missouri State. It was such a blowout that they, you know, all their starters basically only played half a game. And when you're, you know, even a kid as talented as Spencer Rattler, he still needs reps. I mean, he's still just a redshirt freshman. And so you get down into the grind, you know, into the third and fourth quarter, and K-State's got a guy like like Skylar Thompson uh, leading the offense and, and guys like Jerron McPherson leading the defense. And those are mm-hmm. very experienced guys. You know, they've been through so many mm-hmm. games. And, we, and then, you know, even just this year, had the you know experience of having to – to play uh, a complete game already against Arkansas State. You know, in K-State's case, it came out with a loss, but but having to play all four quarters. And so, you know, they knew what to expect coming down in the fourth quarter, whereas OU didn't and just just didn't have that game prep, I think. And that really hurt them. Uh, besides the fact that it, it felt like K-State opened the playbook a little bit on offense, um, yeah. getting the, the freshman running backs involved especially Deuce Vaughn. I mean, what a day that right. kid had. Big 12 newcomer wild. of the week, Deuce Vaughn. Right. I saw it was a stat from the Big 12 conference office, and it was like he was the first freshman to do something. I, I think it was like 100 all-purpose yards. Or let's see if I can find it real quick. I mean, honestly, with Deuce, was, like, you know, early on, I, I think I probably wasn't the only one to cringe a little bit when people would, you know, try out the, the Darren Sproles comparisons. But now I'm, I'm starting to think, yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So he was the first K-State running back in 50 years to have 100 yards receiving and the only yeah. freshman to do so. I will so. say I've never seen Darren's roles get caught from behind. So That's true. That's that's one be. thing I, I thought about like when he got tackled short of the goal line yeah. was Darren just had that extra gear somehow. Like just at the last second, he had that like the turbo. Like He waited until the last second, mashed the turbo and, and took mm-hmm. off. And, you know, and, and some of that's game speed, too. I bet Deuce will be pretty close to that. But, yeah, it was – that was it was pretty fun to watch. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, Emory, I mean, to get you in here, um, you know, how do you feel about Texas Tech's run defense against some, some – a couple of freshman running backs who have looked pretty good – or looked pretty good last Saturday anyway? Yeah. I actually feel, I guess, as confident as you can feel – I mean – I say that, and then every year it seems like we completely get obliterated on the ground by K-State. But, I mean, Deuce for sure is a kind of archetype of back that we've seen go off against us in the past, specifically kind of in the OU games is the first one that comes to mind. I mean, just having that real elusive I mean, out of the backfield, I believe he's actually had, I mean, he's had 92 rushing yards over the season. 
153 receiving yards. And the crazy thing about it is a lot of his yards came kind of not just as a yak back, but I mean, he's able to present such a mismatch for some of the DBs. But in terms of run defense, I mean, we held Texas pretty well in check. Like the final yard mm-hmm. count was sort of inflated by Ellinger having such success against us, which is also a factor in Skylar Thompson. But I mean, just, I'd say if there's one thing I'm confident about with this defense, it's the front seven. So kind of concerned, but I also am more concerned about Skylar Thompson just destroying us over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it looks like even Ellinger only averaged 4.3 yards a carry. That's not huge. Uh, Ingram was the best 7.4, but overall, it looks like they did a decent job of yeah of containing the Texas run game. And the other thing as well is a lot of Ingram's runs came kind of really when our defense was kind of gassed a little bit. Once we got to the time of possession stuff corrected, which was actually a product of two things. One, the kind of weird special team stuff that went on in that game, where it was like you kept having real quick change of possessions because of block kicks, kicks that got muffed that returned for got returned for touchdowns, onside kicks, and it was just like the defense kept getting stuck on the field. And there was a period in the second half where we were able to kind of rectify that, and we saw that kind of corrected. Yeah, Ingram had the best game of their three backs, but I don't think it was egregiously good. It's not like five years ago where Mixon and P. Ryan each had 150 yards for OU or like when we let, I can't remember who it was, it was one of Texas's third stream backs have 300 yards against us in one game. So it's just a little bit of optimism on that end. And JG, I mean, Emory mentioned Skylar Thompson had a great game. It's interesting though, because so many of those yards went to the running backs and then tight ends. I mean, I think those two positions that look great in the passing game. How much concern do you have about the wide receivers right now? They made some plays, but also had some drops that you don't want to see too. Yeah, and you can tell they they kind of game plan things a little bit differently, and it I, I think it's really going to depend on the opposing defense. I mean, OU's always got you know really good corners, but their middle was kind of soft, and that's where your tight ends and your pass catching running backs are really going to shine. That's you know. Vaughn's 77-yard reception came off a, a little – it wasn't even a slant. It was it was kind of a go route right up the middle that Skyler hit him short, and and then he just kind of found the seam and, and took off. And, I, you know, I haven't didn't watch the Houston Baptist game for Texas Tech, but that's – I mean, they gave up almost 600 yards to, to those guys, and that, that seems like a lot. I mean, they only gave up like 260 to Texas, but Texas was clearly but, committed to trying to run it too. They seemed pretty yeah. – balanced yeah but it feels like like something they'll maybe have to wait and see you know as the game starts i don't think they've given up on the wide receivers i mean you still got yeah. malik knowles who's who's solid and sebastian taylor's has really come on this year yeah, uh, really catch. surprised me he's finally having that game to game consistency that we always hoped he would but when you've got a guy like briley moore and deuce vaughn you you got to get him the ball somehow yeah. and I think that's all that really matters is getting the playmaker, the ball, whoever it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, I mean, we talked, you know, the first week about Skyler Thompson overthrowing guys. This time he was underthrowing, but, you know, when they're that open, it still works. So. And, yeah, it seemed like OU was trying to play aggressive on the outside, but we're only, like, rushing four and five. And I I think that really helped Skyler and the line. And then, yeah, it was just – a lot of weird blown coverages 
for OU. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on yeah. the the misalignments, the two tight end passes that were called back, those guys were basically wide open, and that's still a you know defensive miscue. And I'm not sure what they were doing by the end of it. Yeah. And so, Emory, I mean, you're probably not used to thinking about this and before a K-State game, and I mean, neither are we, honestly. But, you know, how did the linebackers match up with, you know, as far as covering the tight ends or even the running backs that they get put in that situation? I think it kind of depends on what personnel we're in as well as kind of who specific matchups. So Rico Jeffers is kind of a guy that has played all four years at Tech. Really, the first two years, he was kind of the third man behind Dakota Allen and Jordan Brooks. And last year, he kind of took over Dakota's spot, but Brooks sort of, I guess, outshined him. I mean, obviously, he got to be a first-round pick. He's very versatile. Not that good in pass coverage, but we have two kind of new guys in Christian Merriweather and Brendan Boyer-Randall. Both of them are very kind of versatile athletes, a lot more of the Jordan Brooks style. I mean, so far, we really haven't let the two running backs or the two backs that we've faced go off too much against us. But then again, Texas is notorious for kind of not really using their running backs as much in the passing game, more so using kind of that downhill style back or just sort of elusive. And then, I mean, Houston Baptist barely even used a running back. There were a whole lot of sort of slinging out to the wide receivers. And why wouldn't you when your corners are giving up 50-yard passes to Houston Baptist receivers. So it's just kind of, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I'd say the linebackers, we know they can defend the run fairly well, but we haven't really been tested with this specific unit on pass coverage. So it's kind of unknown for us. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, it's a pretty different kind of challenge. And uh, Keontae Ingram is six foot two twenty three, and Deuce Vaughn is 5'5", 168. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how that ends up but yeah and I guess JT no word on whether Trotter is going to be back it seems like uh, Chris Kleiman took the the Lincoln Riley approach this week yeah you know you'd love to have everybody back and you know it depends on if it's a COVID issue or an injury issue and you know if they've got a quarantine for 14 days and when that quarantine started and it's and they're you know they're not giving out any of that information so that's why it's it's so crazy week to week. I yeah. honestly, I felt like you know it, it forced their hand a little bit to not have Trotter and to just say, okay, well, Deuce, you're going to be the guy. Let's do it and be on the field an awful lot. And it seemed like he you know handled that really well this this time. Picked up some more of those blocking assignments and stuff. That you know it's mm-hmm. tough for a five five, 160 pound dude to to block a defensive end, but even if you can just get a chip on him, you know you know, at least force him to go around you, then every second helps in the pocket. So, right. but I'm, I'm, there's some other guys too. And, and Jacardia, right. Took a few snaps and, you know, he's a much yeah. bigger back built more like, yep. you know, a, a road grader and, and then Keon Mosey. It's just, I'm not concerned if we don't get Trotter back this week. Yeah. I'll be honest. I had not heard Keon Mosey's name before that, that game. So <laughs> maybe I wasn't paying attention, but it was, yeah. Cool to see him getting out there and making plays yeah yeah and so speaking of COVID Emory I think we got to ask you know Kansas State obviously has had some continuing issues uh Coach Kleiman even said that like the game was in doubt last week Texas Tech seems to have taken uh, let's call it the LSU approach for lack of a better term and they they kind of had all their cases early and there were a bunch of them but then I think 
they, they said zero positives last week, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, early on, we were absolutely hammered by COVID stuff. We had 75 players that have tested positive to this point. But again, like you said, zero positives in the last couple of weeks. We got, I believe, six or seven of the presumed COVID scratches. I mean, obviously, just like Lincoln Riley, Matt Wells has been very and discreet about what's actually going on in terms of why people are missing games. We got Colin Schooler, the transfer from Arizona, who was almost certainly a COVID scratch back this past weekend, which was pretty big. One of the guys we're still missing that's very important and should, from what I'm hearing, be back this Saturday is Demarcus Fields, three-year starter at corner. They're playing him more at a hybrid role, kind of like they played Douglas Coleman last year, who had, I believe, eight interceptions. So that'll be interesting because... I mean, we've really struggled containing deep passes this year. And in general, I think a lot of kind of the issues we had in the Houston Baptist game were very much related to sort of just being out of sync. And I mean, when you have 75 people testing positive at various points over the summer, I mean, that makes it, that really kind of condenses the opportunity to gel as a team, especially when, I mean, on the offensive side, there was like, at times it seemed like we had multiple position groups where everyone is out due to contact tracing or COVID. So it's it's had an impact, but it seems like we've gotten a lot better the last week or so. And do you think that was a key factor in the struggles against Houston Baptist? Yeah, I think particularly on the offensive side, I'd say maybe a little bit too, well, the defense as well was more of like a personnel issue. Just, I mean, we mm-hmm. were still figuring out our corners. We figured that out a little bit better in the last game. We know that of, feeling. <laughs> yeah, ro- yeah. Rotate. Rotating players that really shouldn't have been out there together, like kind of guys that had sort of similar sort of issues that really kind of reared its ugly head. Offensively, though, the first game we really struggled to put together drives. Like Bowman was overthrowing guys that he had simply not played with because he's also been injured the last two years at times. And so some of these guys, mm-hmm. such as Eric Azukama, he's hardly played with. And in that time, Azukama has come together and become kind of a rising star and as an outside receiver, but the tendencies is completely different to what he had with, say, like Antoine Wesley. So there was still some disconnect in that first game, and I think it absolutely kind of affected just our general performance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, K-State had the exact same problems. I mean, missing players, and you could tell guys were just not on the same page, and I think that benefited both teams in their next game, you know, just having that fire. And, and like I said, Texas – very similar where they didn't really, you know, have to play a whole game against UTEP. And so when it came down to crunch time and and tech started making their comeback, you know, they had that experience from the two weeks prior where yeah, we had to play a whole game and we know how to deal with this. And Texas didn't, even though they return a lot of the difference between Texas and, and OU in this case is, you know, who's at quarterback and you've got Sam Ellinger who's you know been there forever. And so they've got at least, you know, some vocal team leaders that have been around a long time. But but still, it, I mean, you can see the difference between two teams that, that had to play a complete game and got through all their bumps and bruises in that first game and, and really figured out what they had to work on, what they missed from all the summer stuff at the versus teams that, that didn't really, they kind of coasted that first game and then, you know, took one in the chin and struggled to respond in that second game. Yeah. I will also add as well that Houston Baptist had already played a game before they got to us, which kind of the same effect you saw with Texas and with Oklahoma. 
played into like when they got down 21 to three versus up. So it was like, they still knew how to execute. And I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's a trend you're going to see throughout college football this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Quick side note on UTEP. They uh, pulled off a big 31 to six win over Louisiana Monroe. So shout out Dana Demo, turning that program around. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, we let's talk some more about the Texas Tech offense and K-State defense. You know, first, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. So, JT, let's, let's start with the Kansas State defense. Obviously, they, they played phenomenal the last you know quarter and a half of that game. Um, and we talked about there's a bunch of guys out. Um, you know, especially the defensive back you mentioned, Aaron McPherson. Also, Justin Gardner had a great pick. You know, our coach is going to have some tough decisions when and if those other guys get back about you know, who's getting playing time. I got to hope so. Uh, I mean, those guys played so well. Eco Boydo, I mean, had a couple great stops and played really well in coverage. I thought A.J. Parker looked better playing nickel than he had playing outside corner. I mean, he's still our best corner, but I mean, he almost looked better playing in the nickel spot. But yeah, it's so crucial having Jerome McPherson back there. He was the starter. He was supposed to be the starter and only played like a series in the first game. And I think that really hurt the defense overall. You know, they were expecting him to be back there and he wasn't. But uh, I, I think, the, I mean, having McPherson back was huge. And then the other big guy we got back was Khalid Duke on the defensive line. I mean, he was only credited with like two pressures and I don't think he ever was credited with a sack, but Man was in the backfield constantly, forcing Rattler out of the pocket, working on on the left tackle pretty constantly, and then creating you know holes so that White Huber could get in and get a sack, and and mm-hmm. some of those other guys could work in the backfield. So, yeah, it's you know, and he was a guy that was expected again expected to be a starter and didn't play the first game for whatever reason, and so you know it's just huge having those two guys back, and the more of those guys we can get back, the more likely it is that we'll continue to see a positive progression this season. I still worry about some guys for tech. They've still got TJ Vasher, who's I, I feel like he's he's gashed just quite a bit before. I mean he wasn't the leading receiver, but it was just, you know, I I see his <laughs> Vasher on the back of the jersey and I have nightmares. So <laughs> but it, you know, one of those those big guys that seems like our corners have had trouble, you know, keeping up with. But if you've got the seniors back, if you've got the experienced guys back, it makes it a little easier to handle a guy like that than yeah. we had for the Arkansas State game. Yeah, and I think Khalid Duke and, and White really did play a big role in kind of throwing Spencer Radler off his game. And we certainly know from the past that, that if you give a Texas Tech quarterback time to throw, he's going to, you know, rip you apart, tear you apart. And so I, I guess, Emery, you know, what do you think of the Texas Tech offensive line? So far, I think their biggest struggle has been kind of in run blocking. I mean, Alan Bowman has yet to take a sack in 104 dropbacks. I mean, some of that as well as on Bowman just being really good at avoiding sacks in general. I think he's only taken 10 in 600 attempts since he came to Texas Tech as a freshman. I mean, compare that to Jet Duffy, where that was probably his biggest weakness. 
So, it's, again, it's hard to say in pass protection. I think last week, Texas is a really good sort of, they're a really good pass rushing team. And they did get to Bowman a couple of times. I mean, they had a what looked like a strip sack that was called an incompletion after review. And they also had a couple of times where they pressured him into an interception. But I think as a whole, offensive line, run blocking is a different story, but pass blocking, I feel fairly confident that they've held up pretty well. Yeah. That's an amazing stat about the lack of sack. And he's just not even like he's not a guy you think of as very athletic or much of a runner. So is that just kind of quick release and him kind of having that clock in his head and knowing when to get rid of the ball? Yeah. It speaks to a couple of things. So he's actually he's deceptively athletic. I mean, obviously he's not gonna run for fifty yards a game. He's not gonna be like a jet duffy where he can make thirty yard runs out of mat out of absolutely nothing. But he is he does have a pretty good sense to move in the pocket. And he's also, I mean, like you said, he has a very good internal clock. And rarely will he not take something that's there at the beginning of a play. So like if he sees someone come open. It was something we struggled with Mahomes here is kind of playing street ball almost. And obviously Mahomes has gotten better at that through the years. But Bowman is very much the opposite. Very controlled. He'll take what's there right at the beginning. I think that's what helps him really avoid sack numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean to me it's pretty clear, you know, why I tried so hard to get him on the field the last couple seasons. And not that Jeff Duffy was was terrible or anything, but you know, clearly Bowman's got got something special, at least with the pocket presence and knowing where to get the ball out to you know avoid things and stuff. He's just he's a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. And you know we were talking about K State's young running backs, but Texas Tech had a sophomore, Roderick Thompson, go for a hundred yards against Texas. You know, a lot of that was on the the one run. But you know, what do you what are you expecting from him this season? I think Sir Roger Thompson has a chance to be another thousand-yard rusher for Tech, which would be our first since DeAndre Washington was in town. Very patient back. He has kind of a really interesting blend of power and elusiveness. So it was kind of a concern when he first came on campus. Like, is he going to meet the athletic threshold to really be able to shine at running back? But last year, I mean, he started as the third back in our rotation. It was Armand Shine, Tijon Henry, who was actually the same class as Thompson and got more looks in his freshman year. But over time, Thompson just simply kind of willed the spot away from them. And some of that was caused by injuries. I mean, he had quite a consistent presence last year. And I'd say the Texas game was probably one of his worst in terms of actual like production until that 75-yard run. Like, I think if there's one position where we really feel the continuity from last year, it's running back. Because Thompson had a very consistent kind of end of the year. He had... Over 80 yards against you guys, 80 yards against Texas. I think it was over 100 yards against TCU. Like he's very much a consistent runner. Not really a home run hitter outside of a couple of big plays, but he's very like he'll get you two to three yards out of nothing sometimes, which is very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see how that his state run defense holds up. Um, I mean, it got better late, but. Well, I think John pointed that out. It seemed like run defense was doing real well early, and then maybe they sacrificed a little bit of run defense to assist the pass defense. Like, say, okay, well, we're going to give up five or six yards on the ground if they want it, but we're not going to let them throw over the top of us and eat us for 10, 11 yards. Right. Uh, And then as far as the receivers, I mean, JT mentioned Vasher, but 
you know, that top receiver coming back, another sophomore is Eric. I'm going to let you pronounce his last name because I'm not sure. But... Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, is he still kind of the go-to guy now? Well, it's kind of been a mixture between Basher, Ezukama, and Keyshawn Carter. You guys caught the very last game before the coaches ended up putting Keyshawn Carter back at slot receiver last year. Because when Kingsbury was here, he put Keyshawn at slot to begin with. Wells tried something with putting Keyshawn on the outside, and it really didn't work. But yeah, Ezukama, Keyshawn, TJ, all have been very kind of equal in terms of the target they share. I will say Ezukama is very much more of a home run hitter than either Vasher Carter is, but I think it's just, I mean, all three of those guys are very elite playmakers. Yeah, and I guess um, I feel like we should talk a little bit about special teams because it was pretty important for, for both teams last week. Starting with Kansas State, it was obviously great to see Blake Lynch, you know, hit that 50-yarder. And honestly, like, I mean, we knew he was better than he was that first week, and he's consistent, but I didn't know he had that kind of leg, JT. Yeah, I think... I think that surprised everyone a little bit. I mean, he, I mean, he said his range is like 52 or something, but yeah, but I, I was a little worried. With <laughs> that that, that would have been good from 152. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it was, but I, I mean, yeah. it, he let it go, and I'm I, just the whole time I was like, "Come on, just, just get there, just get there, just get there." <laughs> felt like it took forever to show up, and but it made it, and that's all that really matters. It's just like. I mean, the Chiefs, you know, yeah, the Bucker weekend before, the and yeah, Bucker kicking and he hit several. Four. And, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, and to shake off the, I mean, poor for him performance from the game before. And, you know, it, it was, it was great to see for a lot of reasons. But yeah, it was, it was definitely surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think KC is going to block a punt Saturday for the third time this year? Well, on pace, guys, says yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed from K-State perspective, we have a lot of opportunities to try to block a punt. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I'd rather not have a, you know, a basketball score looking <laughs> game like, like Texas, Texas Tech, you know, <laughs> last week. But yeah. And I believe Tech had a punt blocked, but they also blocked one of their own, right? Correct. Yeah. So we had, we actually almost blocked two. Those, we had one that was definitely blocked and then one where, I mean, it more or less impacted it close to all you'd see with a block. I believe it was a six to 10 yard punt where the punter basically had to avoid the block and kind of shanked it. So, I mean, we've been getting pretty consistent pressure, but we also did give up a block that was rather crucial and gave them a free score basically. So, I mean, it's been going both ways for us. Mm -hmm. And then Tech, uh, you know, has a pretty impressive Young kicker as well. Obviously, he was great last season. Is he just kind of picking up where he left off on that? Well, actually, he only has attempted one field goal this entire year. Trey Wolf has <laughs> and missed it in Texas, oh. which, again, special teams was really, really just chaos last game. I mean, we gave up an onside kick because it went right through Zach McPherson's hands. But we also got an onside kick because Trey Wolf recovered it. Our kicker recovered it. We blocked a punt, had another punt blocked. And then to top it all off, we missed a field goal and then benefited from Texas's return of Deshaun Jamison, I think is his name. He's usually incredibly electric, fumbling a punt and diving for it. And so because he touched it twice, we were able to return it for a touchdown. So, I mean, 
I'd be absolutely shocked if anything like that happened again against K-State. I mean, if we have a block and a missed kick, that's one thing. But, I mean, that was like a <laughs> once-in-a-decade type of games in terms of special team shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. So I wonder, like, I mean, obviously that's a really painful loss, you know, to blow that lead late. But, like, looking back at it now a couple of days later, you know, like K-State Tech wasn't expected to be close in that game. You know, did you look at that as a, as a positive or? Yeah, I consider it to be a positive. I know a lot of the fan base is like no moral victories, which to a degree is correct. But at the same time, I mean, we were 18 point underdogs after the game against Houston Baptist. I really thought it should have been closer to 22, 23. But it turned out the offense specifically really kind of so much better than we saw against Houston Baptist. We put up 49 against Texas, which, well, 49 offensive points, because we also got a touchdown from special teams, which was the most points we've ever put up in the series. And that's very long history of mediocrity, to be honest. But I think as a whole, like you take the positives from it, which were the offensive performance was good. We saw some young guys really step up. Alex Hogan, the defensive back, had his first career interception. We had a couple freshman receivers, Jalen Polk and Miles Price, get time. And then, I mean, just getting Alan Bowman back in a rhythm. Like, his freshman year, he had really only about five games that he played through because he had two that he got hurt in and then one that he came in kind of as an injured reserve where he came in off the bench, basically. Like, in a way, it's just nice to see him play out a full game. And he made mistakes. He threw a couple picks that were absolutely awful, but he still threw five touchdowns. He was able to find Basher and Keyshawn multiple occasions on some really nice throws. And I think that's just something where that can translate the rest of the year. Whereas after Houston Baptist, there are a lot of Tech fans who are like, it's one and nine. We might even lose to Kansas like we did last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Bowman didn't have any plays as bad as former Heisman candidate Brock Purdy. Oh, God. That has to, I mean, that's up there with the Jet Duffy levels of just absolutely mind-boggling dumb turnovers. I mean, I think, who was it? Was it Joe Davis that was calling the game and he was like, what is Brock Purdy doing? Yeah. yeah. As it happened. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Speaking of announcers, JT, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed when, you know, late in the game, K State's down a touchdown. One of the announcers says, oh, K-State's going to have to do it through the air. Go to Skylar Thompson. And as he's saying that, Deuce Vaughn breaks it for a 20-whatever-yard touchdown. Right. On the ground. Right. Right. Yeah, that was like his one good run was was came on that touchdown run. And after saying, yeah, we needed to torch him through the air. But it's Gus Johnson and whoever uh, – what is – Joe Klatt was with him, right? Joe yeah. Klatt, yeah. I'm not even sure who we've got on the call for this week. Well, are we on sure, FS1 yeah. this week? Yeah, it's FS1. I think so. It's, it's the, the 2.30 game this week, so don't have to get up as early. Oh, with no tailgating. Yeah. I don't. I really don't have to get up very early. That's true. kind of weird. Yeah. Even the game two weeks ago and showed up at the stadium at 10 o'clock, and it's like, I guess. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I guess it's probably time. I'm going to ask you to, to make a prediction if you want. I would like to point out Kansas State's won four in a row in eight of the last nine in the series. Uh, I was a little surprised to see K-State's only a three-point favorite, to be honest. That's basically yeah. a pick at home. and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I honestly was surprised at that line. I mean, I had a 
text with a couple other Texas Tech kind of fans, insiders, whatever, and we all thought it was going to be closer to plus six or plus seven is in us being six to seven point underdogs. As you said, eight of the last nine that we've lost, a couple of those have been close. A couple of them have been absolute blowouts. I will point out this is the first time that we've come in with a fully healthy quarterback in Manhattan, like as in our number one quarterback being fully healthy since 2012 because Davis Webb in 2014 had a shoulder injury that he got pulled midway through the game. In 2016, it was actually the first game since Mahomes' injury that suffered against Kansas, which is really kind of incredible that he played out that entire year with a shoulder sprain and a broken wrist. And then 2018 was the infamous Jet Duffy game where he came in after the Texas game and played on, an, I think it was a broken, it was like a broken bone in his foot or something and put up six points against K-State. So yeah, it's been just, honestly, it's been depressing to see how like, A, we've been blown out a few times and B, we found some really creative ways to lose in the series. So as a prediction, I can't see us winning this one, honestly, because like it's K-State. Something always seems to go wrong for us. I mean, <laughs> sound like I'm an Iowa say, State fan. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there was something put out by one of the analytics guys in the Big Twelve over the summer, where it was like series where expected win margin and actual the actual winner had enough variance. And it was K State against Texas Tech, where we've I think we've outgained you something like ten percent over the last five games, and yet we're one and four. And it's just, I mean. Yeah. I can't pick us. It's so weird that it, it's flipped so much. And like, I mean, Mike Leach offense is used to give Kansas state nightmares. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I would say my final score prediction would be something in the range of 35 to 31 on a serious note. I think tech is going to keep this one close just on the basis of, I mean, guys like Vasher, as you call Keyshawn Carter, I think, the secondary for K-State, specifically, A.J. Parker's a really good corner. I really like him. I think he did, I believe it was in 2018, where he really kind of shut down Antoine Wesley, who was on pace at that point mm-hmm. to have over 1,600 yards for the year. And, I mean, as much as you guys have struggled with long, wide receivers, I mean, Vasher has had some good games against you guys, but it hasn't been to the level of what he's done versus, say, a Texas. I just think that while we'll have a good game, like especially attacking your secondary, I mean, Skylar Thompson is the man. He's very experienced at Texas Tech. His first first action, I believe, came in the 2017 game against us. And, I mean, I think it's going to be a late drive, and I just think Kansas State will pull it out. So I'd say 35-31 K-State is my score prediction for this one. Okay, I like it. We might have you back on. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm too optimistic Uh, for you guys. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean i, I think they just take uh, any win at this point you know just keep winning so yeah I, i'd be um, happy with anything especially after <laughs> the way the season started at this point I'm, it's like hey yeah. we beat OU. I'm, I'm on cloud nine we'll see what happens from now yeah 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 and i went back to look at last year like how did we do the game after oklahoma but it was against kansas so that doesn't really count it's hard to right. say <laughs> yeah Anyway, Emery, we really appreciate you uh, coming on so people can read your stuff at, at Viva the Matadors or follow you on Twitter at, uh, at Eraser41. I'm going to assume that's a nod to Dirk Nowitzki. You don't need to correct me if that's wrong. <laughs> but uh, 
The other thing is like, I, I got to ask from your Twitter bio and you probably get this a lot, but how does a, a high school kid who cart racer from North Carolina become a Texas Tech fan? It's honestly really circumstantial. So neither of my parents go or went to college at a place that you would consider like a football powerhouse. They went to Wingate in North Carolina, which is a D2 program. And honestly, it's just, I fell in love with them back when I was a little kid with the Mike, Mike Leach Red Raiders fun <laughs> style of offense. And it's kind of turned into, at first it was kind of like a playful fandom, like, you know, very kind of on the casual side, but I've seen my opportunities to really sort of learn about tech and then ultimately start writing and really go in detail. I mean, it's just, I took a couple of opportunities in terms of A, writing for Viva and B, kind of working on highlight videos with tech athletes. And in terms of just the age thing, I mean, it's something I consider myself very fortunate to have had the opportunity to write for Viva, but it's also, I mean, it's something that a lot of high school kids out there don't realize that they have that opportunity to really kind of pursue what they want to do. And I think just kind of having that opportunity is something that I don't take for granted. And I think, I mean, it's a really interesting story. Honestly, I can't even explain it myself to be completely honest with you, but there's nothing that's like preconceived, something that I brought up like to my parents. It's kind of off of my own ambition and uh, interest. So. Okay. That's cool. It's got to be especially weird during basketball season, though. There's so many good programs in North Carolina and here you're in for Texas Tech, which has turned into a, a pretty good program uh, now with Chris Beard. So. Yeah. I mean, when I first started writing for Viva, it was actually the first Elite Eight run for Tech. And when I was first a Tech fan, we were awful in basketball. It was the Pat Knight era, Billy Gillespie. Bobby Smith started turning around. And I mean, nowadays, you feel like you're actually a part of the discussion when people bring up the North Carolina, the Dukes. I mean, obviously, a whole lot of history there that Tech has to match. But I mean, it's, a, it's actually gotten to be pretty fun to be able to discuss basketball with people in North Carolina because football is a lot more of an anonymous subject around here compared to the basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on. I think you're definitely the, the youngest guest we've had on here before. So congratulations and, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. JT, as always, I appreciate yep. it. So. It's fun as always. Yeah. I'm Luke Thompson. Sign you off. So, yeah.